0: Do you think a fish realizes how wet he is? He is immersed in water, the lake or sea is all around him, he lives and breathes submerged. Every time he opens his mouth, water gets in and comes out. So what do you think? Well, this is kind of like the way we view sin. We live in a sinful world. We all have sinful thoughts, actions, and words. We don't really realize just how sinful sin is, but God does. The fact of Jesus' death to pay for our sin is not a gauge of how much we are worth, but how sinful sin is. It took the death of God's own Son to pay for what we have done. Sin requires a payment, a life, and either we pay for it with our lives or eternal death and damnation, or our lives are spared because they were purchased by the blood of Christ, is sacrificed on our behalf as restitution for our sin. Which do you choose? Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today from Liberty Lake Church. Today we have the second of two special messages by our brother in Christ, Alan Ulmer. We will be looking at several passages, so take out your Bible and start by opening it to Romans chapter 11, verse 33, and follow along with Alan as he looks at some biblical perspectives on how God's future judgment affects each of us in the world today in the message titled, All Things, Part 2.
1: my pleasure to be with you here in this way once again this morning. Um, As we come together before the Word of God, let's join in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for calling us here to worship. We thank you for making it possible for each of us to be here this morning at your bidding. We thank you for providing to us and for us the blessing of your Word. We thank you for the richness of it We ask that you would bless us with the spirit of your presence here and your spirit to guide us to learn, to understand, and to grow in the transformation process that you are working in each of us according to your will. So we commit our time to you this morning and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. We'll be looking at our text again from Romans chapter 11 verses 33 through 36. Um, I'd like to read that text again, and then I want to do just kind of a brief overview of what we did last week. I noticed there's several of you who were unable to be here last week, so that'll kind of put us all together, and then we'll take a look at some more things uh, this morning. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom Amen. As I mentioned last week, the sermon title is All Things, and since all things is a lot of things, we need a couple of weeks to cover all things. So we didn't get them all covered last week. Hopefully we'll get the rest of them covered this week. But what I'm attempting to do is to have us look at all things from the perspective of where we are uh, from a time frame perspective. We see things past. We know what the past is. We can learn from the past, hopefully. Uh, We live in the present. Things that are happening now are what affects us. We can affect things now. And God, in His gracious providence, has told us about the future. We anticipate the future. We worry about the future We want to control the future from where we are, and yet we know that those things are in God's hands. And so what we did last week was we looked at some things past and then their effect upon us in the present. What we want to do today is look at some things in the future that God has revealed to us and What do those have to do with us today in the present? How significant are they to us? Last week we looked at God in the past and we took note that God, before time began, before he created the world, he made a promise to provide salvation. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 makes note of that promise, that this promise was made before time began. Well, clearly, before time began, before the world was made, there was no people, there were no things, there was God. So within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God made this promise to accomplish this purpose of salvation. In order to accomplish that, God had to create. So he would have people to bring salvation to. And we noted the creation is accomplished in Christ. We looked at John chapter 1 where we're told very specifically Jesus, through the grace of God the Father, created everything. And nothing that we see came about except by his creative action. Creation stands with a reason, with a purpose, with a design, opposed to the alternative, which is the most prominent in our culture, the evolutionary process, which, as we noted last week, basically the premise of evolution is we came from nowhere for no reason, and we're going nowhere, and when we get there, there'll be nothing. Nothing. And somehow we're supposed to assign significance to this brief period of time in which we're alive. Doesn't really give us a lot of motivation, does it? Boy, I want to climb the corporate ladder so that when I die, I'll have nothing and be nobody. Okay. Creation gives us a significance. The significance starts with God, it comes to us being created in his image. And then it comes to us in his redemptive work, which, of course, the fall into sin was a necessary part of. And we looked at that briefly. We don't like to think about how that came about. We always want to believe some of the suggestions, uh, really, they're lies of our culture and our world that people are good. Basically, we're good, and you know we can do better, and we can all get along. But we know that in our heart of hearts, as the Word of God makes clear to us, that we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of our purpose. And so it became necessary for God, in His grace, to provide salvation in Christ. And we looked at grace. The letters of the word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's our blessing. That's what we've been given in Christ. And the effects upon us, those things past, are in the present, we all have the same situation. We all are here. Wherever we are, we're here. Kind of made a joke about that. We're never there. We always want to be there, but we're always only here. But the point of being here is God has put us here to accomplish his purpose here. And part of that is growing in his grace. The other part of that is to disseminate, to preach, to teach, to give the gospel to other people. The other thing that all of us have in the present is now. We don't have yesterday. It's gone. We can regret whatever happened or wish we would have done something different, but we don't have that. And we don't have the future yet entirely. We know some things that we're going to look at here in a little bit, but we have now. And now is what God calls us to live in and to be about for him and for his glory. And the the thing that he really wants us to let go of here and now, Paul brings it out in chapter 12 of Romans, verses 1 and 2, most of us are familiar with, but Paul makes this appeal, this urging, this strong desire that he has that people will sacrifice themselves to accomplish God's purpose. And that's the hardest thing, of all things, for us to give up, is ourselves. And we're going to see that some more as we look at the future things as we move along. Last week we introduced this whole idea by talking about things. And several of you contributed some things. And a lot of the things that we mentioned were, were tangible things. Stuff we see, stuff we can feel, stuff we eat. Or drink. And, and those are important things. Briefly some things were mentioned that we might call intangible. Things we don't really touch or feel or see in a certain sense. But in another sense we do. We all experience things. And of the things we experience. We all enjoy some of those things more than some other things when you uh, see that blue light flashing in your rearview mirror behind you, uh, you're hoping that they're going after someone else. <laughs> if they're not, that's not always a pleasant experience. God has unveiled some things to us in his word that are, not, are yet to happen. And because God has unveiled those things, because God has declared them to be coming, they will come. There's no question. It's not a, oh, I wish that I could win the lottery, and if I do, I will do all these things. Or I wish I could go to Hawaii. Um, But I'll just have to glean from Doug and and others that have been there what Hawaii is or what it's like. Um, Actually, I have no desire to go to Hawaii. There's a lot of other places I'd rather go. Um, But these things that God has unveiled for us that are yet future, which of them will you and I participate in? Which of them will we experience? Are we prepared and do we know for sure that we will experience the enjoyable ones or the others. So let's take a look at some things future. I want to take a look at God once again. Starting with God is really the best place to start. And unfortunately, most of the messages that we get from our world and our culture don't start with God. In fact, they have absolutely nothing to do with God. They set him completely aside and act as if he has never been, is not, and never will be. When we start with God, we can take a couple of tracks, if you will. We can take the the religious track. Definition of religion that I encountered several years ago that I think is really helpful. Religion is man in some way, shape, or form seeking God or seeking to act as God. Seeking to control his environment, his future, everything. The other track we can take is the biblical track, the track of Christianity, and that is recognizing that God is seeking mankind. From the very beginning, which we looked at briefly last week in the Garden of Eden, man, Adam and Eve, chose to violate God's word. They chose to do their bidding They looked at the fruit, if you look through that text over and over again, it specifically states the tree, the tree, the tree became this big focus and they forgot all about what God said about that tree and they chose to eat the fruit that was off limits to them and once they had sinned, they realized that there was a problem and They went and hid and tried to cover themselves up. It was the original camouflage, if you will, putting on the fig leaves and trying to blend into the trees. And when God showed up, they didn't come out to greet him like they had every other day. Suddenly, they didn't want to be with God. But God continued to seek them out and God provided for them. And all throughout the text of Scripture, we're shown that over and over and over again. Despite people's behavior, despite the fact that Israel was probably as apostate as any of the other nations, God continued to come to them and say, not because you're great, not because you're powerful, not because you're faithful, but just because I love you, I will continue to come and I will redeem you. And that's God's approach to us. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4. When we look at God, we see God in the future in a way that should give us tremendous encouragement and tremendous hope. John writes and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. These words in this text describing God coming and dwelling with man and the particular words he will be their God and they will be his people is a covenant fulfillment from the Old Testament. When God made a covenant with people, that was what he said. Whatever it takes, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that's where the death of Christ became necessary because we could not be in God's presence with sin. God could not have us with him. And so in providing for us to be in his presence and that he would be our God and we would be his people, he took that sin upon himself and provided for us his perfect righteousness. And so in Christ, we become just as if we had never sinned, just as if we had always obeyed as Christ did. Huge blessing. And all of these other things that we experience here and now. uh, Tears, death, sorrow, crying, pain, all these things. Christ took care of all of that. And there will be that day when we will experience all of those things. Another thing future is there will still be creation. There will still be a place. And there will still be things different than what we know now. I believe it's going to be greater than all of the things that Scripture says about what it will be like. I also believe that for those who will not experience the new creation, that new heaven and new earth, I, I believe hell will be far worse than what Scripture describes it to be. But the creation... Is designed to be changed. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. God will be consistent at the end of time, but the things around us will change. Peter tells us in his second letter in uh, chapter 3 some similar things about the creation. He starts out talking about the, the last days and that People will come making fun of this whole idea that God has anything to do with anything or that God is going to come back and save us. Uh, And he calls them scoffers and you can tell they're scoffers because they scoff. And you've probably heard people scoff and maybe people have scoffed at you, made fun of you because of your belief that God exists, that God has done what he's done, that God is going to do what he's promised to do. But then he talks about them and he says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? He's not coming back for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And we noted that last week, God didn't have to do anything but speak and creation came to be. And that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. And he's talking about the flood with Noah, God's intent to cleanse everything. God cleansed the earth, but there were still people. And where there's people, there's still sin. But he goes on and he says, But by means of the same word, this word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And then down in verse 10 of chapter 3, 2 Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, Peter asks this very important question, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens And a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We don't experience that yet. But the writer of the Hebrews says, even though we don't see everything accomplished yet, we can still see Jesus. And Jesus is still Lord. And Jesus will always be Lord. And we're going to look at that some more here in a little bit. The interesting thing here is, Peter uses this word ought in verse 11 of 2 Peter chapter 3. What sort of people ought we to be? What's the standard? What are we called to be like? What are we called to do? And based on that oughtness that God has commanded for us in his word, He also makes it clear that at the end of time, there will be a judgment. Because there are things that we ought to do, as well as things that we ought not to do. And his word makes those things clear to us. And this judgment is not an option. God describes it as an appointment. We know what appointments are like. Sometimes we have to cancel appointments for various reasons. Sometimes we need to be someplace, but we don't feel well. Or our vehicle won't work. Or some other preconceived thing happens, something out of our control. We miss the appointment. This appointment, no one will miss. This appointment, no one can opt out of. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Appointed time, appointed judgment. Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 describes the judgment as a shepherd separating sheep from goats. And he makes it clear that not all are sheep, but not all are goats either. He says the goats will go on the left side the sheep will go on the right side and the judgment will be based on what people have done. And so, again, the what happens here and now has an effect on the future. The interesting thing in Jesus' words is he uses those words of covenant once again. The sheep are the blessed, the goats are the cursed. There's a blessing on Jesus' right hand. There's a curse at his left hand. And those that are cursed are not those who are waiting for him, as this text in Hebrew says. He's coming to save and to bring to full and final salvation Those who are eagerly waiting for him, which means there are some who are not waiting for him, some who don't expect him. And Jesus makes that clear in the Matthew text where he says it's going to be like the days of Noah. People will just be going about their business and then it's the end. They're not ready. Based on the judgment, each of us has an eternal destiny. And a destination, and we'll see in a little bit, that destination is predetermined by God himself. Because he is God. We want to control our destiny. The world gives us ways in which to do that. Sometimes they even describe the impossibility of doing that and say we're simply at the hands of fate. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever will be, will be. Well, God doesn't say that. God says, I will make happen what I want to make happen, the way I want it to happen, and when I want it to happen. But there is a destiny. Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 through 8 bears that out. So, there's two destinies. The first destiny is the heritage or the inheritance. And of those who receive the inheritance, (coughs) God says, I am the Alpha and Omega. He says, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He says, I will be his God and he will be my son. It's an amazing inheritance because we know ourselves and we know that the only thing that we could pay God is sin. It's all we have. We have no merit. We have no goodness. And that's the questions Paul asked in our original text in Romans Twelve. In uh, verse 35, he says, who's ever given a gift to God that God should pay him back? What God owes me and what God owes you is justice. And God's justice is his wrath for sin. And if we don't consider sin to be worthy of God's justice then we need to go back and re-examine what the scriptures say sin is. But when we recognize the necessity of God being just and punishing sin and the fact that because of His love for His people, from Adam and Eve on to whenever eternity future starts at the end of time, For each and every one of his people, God provides mercy and grace. Mercy is that God does not give us what we deserve. And grace is, again, God's riches at Christ's expense. He gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve Christ's riches. We don't deserve Christ's righteousness. Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life. And for those who trust in him, that's what's accounted to us on the heavenly books, which we'll look at here in a moment. Apart from that, the only thing God owes anyone is justice. No one gets injustice. God doesn't treat anyone unfairly. Everyone who stands before God on the day of judgment will get exactly what they deserve and they will know it. There will be no one who can protest and say, wait a minute, how about this? Or how about that? We'll all know. The interesting thing about the other destiny, eternal destiny, is in the text in Revelation 21, is the word portion. Portion. Those who receive the inheritance, they get the blessings and they get all of those things that God promised. But for the cowardly, the faithless, and all those others, their portion, the leftovers, is that horrible place that burns with fire and sulfur. We're told elsewhere that it never dies, it never goes out, it never goes away. There's no end to it. Now there's people who want to believe that once you die, there's nothing. There's nothing else. This is it. We just stop existing. Word of God doesn't teach that. God makes it clear that there's a place of eternal blessing in Christ. And there's a place of eternal damnation outside of Christ. So what are these things of the future? God and his new creation, new heaven, new earth, the judgment, the eternal destinies. What does that have to do with us in the present? Dr. R.C. Sproul uh, often used a phrase, right now counts forever. Forever. We like to think, oh, you know, a lot of things we do don't really matter that much. You know, we can just kind of use our free time, use our free energy, use our extra, you know, spendable income on whatever. But God is keeping track. Right now, everything that we do in the here and now counts forever. And on the day of judgment, The initial judgment will be, are you in Christ or out of Christ? The other aspect of judgment is for God's people. What did we do with what God has given us? What did we do with his word? What did we do with the gifts that he's granted to us? Have we used them to serve others? Or have we simply served ourselves? Paul in Romans 8 wants us to think about the present, wants us to think about all things of the present. Romans eight twenty eight and on, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. (coughs) When we look at verse 28... (coughs) Oftentimes people go, all things, really? And sometimes we get confused and we want to read that to say all things are good. And then we say, well, God, that's not true. Not all things are good. But it doesn't say all things are good. Some things are bad. And the word of God makes that clear. Sin is not a good thing. But God in his sovereignty has made it possible for sin to exist in order for him to provide salvation in Christ and to forgive sin. And God went so far to take care of that sin that he took care of it himself. He could have allowed us to take care of it on our own. And some people will choose to do that. Some people will choose to pay for their own sin. The only thing they have to do Is die and go to hell forever. And they'll pay for their sin. Sounds kind of trite. But that's really the alternative. The other is. In Christ. There's redemption. In Christ. There's forgiveness. In Christ. There's a remedy. For sin. But God has promised. That everything that you and I. Have. Everything we'll ever have, everything we experience, everything we will do, everything that affects us as we live, he's using for good to accomplish his purpose. And throughout the rest of the text there in Romans 8, we see this little phrase, those whom... And we have to keep that in mind that it's about people. It's not just about stuff. It's not just about the plants and the animals and the other things. There are those things involved and we'll look at that in a minute. But we're talking about these things have effects upon people. And he says his purpose is for those who love God. And John, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, makes it clear that we love because God loved us first. God sought us out. God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, before we had ever given any inclination that we wanted to be part of God's family or that we wanted to be forgiven or that we wanted anything from God, God provided salvation in Christ. So for those who love God, all things work together to accomplish his purpose. And his purpose started, as we noted last week, before time began. He made the promise before he made the people. And that's what Paul's talking about here in verse 29 of Romans 8. He says, those whom God foreknew... God's foreknowledge always has to do in Scripture with people. It doesn't have to do with what God knows about events, although we looked at that last week. God knows everything. God knows every contingency. But God knows nothing contingently. He doesn't need anybody to tell him what's going to happen or what could happen or what somebody did over in the corner. And God knows every possible world that he could have created. Alvin Plantinga, he's a Christian philosopher, goes to great length in his book, God, Freedom, and Evil. And he creates this whole formula and comes out at the end with God in his infinite wisdom and his complete knowledge And his unfathomable power could have created a different world. Could have had more people or less people. Could have had more evil or less evil. Could have had everybody perfect, never had sin. He could have chosen to do any number of other combinations of things. But God made the world he made to accomplish His purpose. He didn't make it to satisfy me or to satisfy you or to satisfy those scoffers and skeptics that are all over the place. He made it to accomplish His purpose. And He made it for those whom He foreknew that He had predestined before He started to make it that those would become conformed to the image of His Son. In order to do that, he can use anything and everything, all those things, to accomplish his purpose, to conform us to the image of his Son. And he does more than that. He says, those whom he predestined, he calls, those he calls, he justifies, makes them righteous, in the righteousness of Christ and those that he makes righteous will experience glory with him forever. Their predetermined destination is his presence forevermore. The other thing that's present that affects us, I think everybody here, um, we could all say that we're all people I don't think there's anyone here that's not a people. Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens. He's wandering around and looking at the things in the city of Athens, and it's a glorious place. There's statues and figures and artwork and all kinds of beautiful things. But Paul isn't overwhelmed and enamored with those things. He's grieved in his spirit. Because he sees that these people are steeped in worshiping idols. And he encounters an idol base with nothing on it. And the inscription is, to the unknown God. So Paul picks up on that and he says... When the people come around, he starts talking to them and he says, I see you Athenians and all those who come here are very religious. Now, Paul could have said, you guys are stupid. (laughs) You're worshiping these blocks of stone. But he's gracious enough to engage them and say, I see you've gone to great lengths to worship. But you have this one that this is the one you need to worship. Let me tell you about this one, this unknown God. He's not all that unknown. He says, in fact, in him, we all live and move and have our being. We would not exist without him. We would not have a breath to breathe without him. And he goes on to describe that God created everyone from a single person. Which probably stretched their brains a little because they tended to kind of cloister themselves and have their little groups and all that stuff. But Paul says, no, we all came from the same original guy. (laughs) So we're all in the same boat. None of us are really extra special. (laughs) And... On that note, he says, this unknown God that you really ought to worship, he uh, is making a demand upon you and me. And Paul goes on and he says in our text, Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead well that got him all stirred up but there were several of those people in that audience that recognized that what Paul was saying they needed to embrace what Paul was saying is that this God is a sovereign God And this God has the right to command everyone to repent. It's not a suggestion. It's not really just an alternative to whatever religious system you might rather enjoy. John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, had the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, likewise, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's really what it's about. It's about God and his kingdom, his order of things, and his purpose for all things. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives the people, particularly his disciples, what we often call the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, there's this petition, Thy kingdom come. And we're taught to pray for that, that God's kingdom would come and would things would happen according to His will and according to His plan. But one of the things that we often fail to realize in praying that prayer is that the other side of that petition is My kingdom needs to go because my kingdom and God's kingdom are not compatible. My kingdom is all about me. My kingdom is all about everybody noticing me and paying attention to me and meeting my needs not in glorifying God or serving God's people or being the blessing that God designed for me to be. Later on in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, you know, you worry about all these kinds of things, the stuff of life. You worry about what to eat and what to wear and all those things. He said, really, what you need to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all this other stuff he'll take care of because he's promised to. So, if you're lacking in stuff, something's not not right between you and God because God has promised to provide the stuff we need. Now, maybe the stuff you're lacking is just stuff you want. And maybe it's not really the stuff you need. But God in Christ has provided for us what we need in our relationship to him. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, and I'll wrap up with this, Paul explains the significance of who Jesus is and the things that he did and the way that he accomplished them. All things, all people, every knee, every tongue. We can be prepared to bend the knee and to express with our tongues, gratefully, what God has done for us in Christ. Or we could be amongst those others who are going to bend the knee Express with their tongues. But they weren't prepared. They're not in Christ. They're outside of Christ. And once that. Confession is made. To the glory of God the Father. They will pay for their sin. And we have the opportunity. To tell them. That there's. Things. Around us. Past, present and future. That affect who we are and where we will be on that last day. When all of these things come to fruition. When there is no more time. When there is no more space as we know it. We'll be in a different setting, in a different place. And it will be evident who's the king, who's in charge, and who's provided. In the past, God planned creation, the fall, redemption in Christ. And in the present, here and now, we have the time and we have the space, the opportunity to share those truths. The future, God has planned for a new creation, new heavens and a new earth. But he's also provided and planned judgment. Because not everyone goes to the new heaven and new earth. And we each have an eternal destiny that's going to come out of that judgment and that affects how we should live now. It affects all things and all people. So, By the grace of God, let's all be prepared for that future because we don't know when it's going to come. Jesus makes it clear to his disciples in Matthew 24. They say, you know, when, when's all this going to happen? And he gives some some guidelines, but he says, really, when it comes down to the day and the hour, no one knows. Because Jesus knows, as we all know, if we knew the day and the hour, we'd put everything off until the hour before. (laughs) And then we go, oh, I better get ready because Jesus is coming. He makes it clear, when I come, everybody's going to know, but you won't know before that. So you're ready or you're not. And your friends, your family, your neighbors, co-workers, they're ready or they're not. Do they know the truth? Do they know these future things that God has unveiled for us? We can tell them. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we thank you for what you have told us. We thank you that you have not just given us commands and expected us to figure them out or do them on our own strength, our own way but you have told us why you've done what you've done in the past you've told us what you will do in the future, you've made promises that only you can fulfill and so for the present time you challenge us with what sort of people should we be Are we truly living for your honor, for your glory? We confess that we often get wrapped up in our own things, in our own desires, our own little kingdoms. We pray that you would open our eyes, expand our thinking to recognize the value of the purpose that you've given us To exist. To bring you the glory that you deserve. Because you will get it. Whether we willingly give it to you. Voluntarily in Christ. Or whether we are coerced to do it. On that last day. In anticipation of judgment. So we confess to you our need of your grace and your mercy. And we confess to you. That you have spoken. Give us ears to hear and give us the strength and the will to obey. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to leave you with this challenge, this blessing of the word of God and this commission that he gives to each of us uh, from Jude. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God. Our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go
0: Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.